it, it's this idea that we're not defined by one thing, and we're usually not. I mean, people can say they're defined by their family and their job and certain things they've done, but I've found essentially that level of resolution of five things is, is, is what's useful to me. Because first of all, with Convergent, um, the more I get involved with projects, the, like it ha doesn't always have a positive impact. So to separate myself out, I signed up to other things. And I created this pull effect to create the room for the company to actually evolve. And that, that was a, a, a mechanical reason. One of the advantages of being an entrepreneur, once we hit a stable kind of state, we have time and space for other adventures. Stories are how we make sense of the world. It's how we pass down information, not from a scientific perspective, but from a narrative perspective of how to act in the world. When faced with certain um, situations, I, I believe there's a limit. I'm very wary of romanticizing failure. Um, we can, I hear a lot of, of statements like, we just need to embrace failure more and things like that. I actually don't agree with that at all. Uh, I think it's too low resolution and it can be taken in the wrong way. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco and this is the Creating Synergy podcast, your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons and their secrets to success. Today on the show, we have one of the most intellectually brilliant human beings that I've ever met, Anton Andriarchio. Now, I've struggled to write the introduction for this chat purely because I don't think my words would do it justice, but Anton's brain seriously resides in a different sphere than the rest of us. It's a world where deep thought is at the very core of every problem, and you can hear in his answers that he's spent time analyzing and compartmentalizing it into his carefully grafted mental models. I promise you that just by listening to Anton articulate his answers, that you'll gain a perspective that you've never had before on multiple topics such as the theatre of entrepreneurship, the process of failure, the delusion of time, and the importance of being able to tell a story. Now, on a quick note, who is Anton, which he actually believes is a bigger question to listing any of his achievements, but I'll do it anyway. Anton co-founded his first company, Convergent, at the age of 22, becoming one of Australia's leading companies in infrastructure visualization. From here, he went on to co-found multiple companies such as Jumpgate VR, Artisan Post, and Double Bishop. He's worked across technology in sports with the AFL, tier one construction companies, governments, and contemporary art organizations. He finds himself on the board of the South Australian Entrepreneurship Advisory Board. He's chair of the Adelaide Film Festival and sitting on the boards of Ace Open, Adelaide Symphony Orchestra, and the University of Adelaide Creativity and Culture Board. Anton has also co-produced works that have been featured at the Venice Biennale and the Sundance Film Festival. And he's also worked with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra to produce what became the first virtual reality symphony concert in the world. So without further ado, here is my chat with Anton Andriarchio. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today on the show we have Anton Andriarchio. Thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Your, um, your name has been thrown at me so many times and it, I reckon it's taken me a good six to 12 months to uh, 
finally get the opportunity to get you in this room and speak to you. You're elusive, hard to hard to get get hold of. So thank you for coming on. Now I want to start off really with um, what you've been described to me as, and why people have said you need to get Anton on and, and you need you need to speak to this guy. Okay, hit me. You've been described to me as someone who specialises in the intersection of technology and human behaviour. What does it look like in that space, and ha- and and how and how did you get there? Well, firstly, am I a specialist in the intersection of technology and human behaviour? Mm. Um, I don't know if I specialise. Uh, in many ways, I'm a generalist. Okay. Um, I'm not a researcher in the middle of that intersection. It's just through the, I don't know, paths that I've found myself on, I've found myself on a range of interfaces between technology and and uh, the human kind of intersection. And I don't mean user interface or user experience. Yeah. I mean what's the role of virtual reality in training football players or what's the role in animation in construction, these, these areas which... Um, we've, we didn't think we'd, we'd be doing, but we've just kind of gravitated towards it. So, yeah. Yeah. And and what, what is, when you talk about the intersection, so if we deep dive, let's like dive into that intersection. Straight off the bat. We're standing on one of the street corners and we're looking in at that intersection. What's happening? Where does that interaction begin? What does it look like? What are you trying to communicate to the world or interact with? From a human behavior. Oh, look, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no it's idea. Whatever the people want. No, it's it's <laughs> look, I'll, I'll speak about the virtual reality one because it's it's a funny one. Yeah. We don't understand the technology. Um, when we first started working with it back in 2014 or so, there was a lot of um, because we came at it from the filmmaker uh, kind of vector, mm-hmm. it was all about how do you produce a VR film? You write the script, you film it, you edit it, done. But montage doesn't exist in VR. It's a different film grammar. Mm. It's a completely different language. And then as we found these other intersections, we found, well, we don't actually understand what this is from a, a human perspective. Like I get what the tech is, mm-hmm. great. We know the platforms. We know all the yeah. cool whiz-bang components. But yeah. when you put it in the hands of different people, it means very different things. And so we found that the way that we competed was not by cheerleading the tech. Mm-hmm. It was by asking better questions of what we were trying to do yeah. and not just what works in VR but why didn't it work in VR mm-hmm. or why didn't things work in VR or why was it this promised technological land and, and it just never came. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we tend to dance on that interface with some of our uh, some of the works we do. Let's move back again and look at this from a like a helicopter view. Sure. So we've gone down into that ex- intersection. Let's move back. You're the founder of... Convergent, Jumpgate, Artisan Group, Double Bishop, GMTI Consulting. Some of the works that you've been involved in, so you're heavily involved, like you're, the, you're also the chair of the Adelaide Film Festival and arts, you, like the arts guy here in South Australia. Arts and, well, let's, I'm going to throw that at you anyway. Okay. Whether you accept it or not is another issue. But some of the works you've been involved in have featured at Sundance, at you know, Venice is it Biennale? Biennale, yeah. Biennale. You've worked with the Symphony Orchestra here in Adelaide and created what is the first virtual reality uh, symphony orchestra in the world. Is that correct? Correct. So you've done some amazing things. Let's. Can we understand your journey 
and how you've come about to build so many amazing and intuitive businesses. Where should I start? Let's start at the beginning. Where did it all begin? I think an inflection point, which is probably appropriate to kick things off, was going to university. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've thought a lot about this. It's, it's hard to – when people ask, what do you do, I, 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 so much. I shut down. Yeah. It's like I, I don't know. It's like asking what's your favourite book. It's just so many options. Well, right? <laughs> yes, but there is there is something about our identity nowadays, which and it's the Protestant work ethic thing. Is we're yeah. defined by what we do. You have a job. This is where you fit. Mm. Um, I didn't really fit, and I remember going to university with, and and one of the pieces of advice I was given was not which career to go into, but this. It was a t- it was a trope at the time of you know people in your generation are going to have seven different careers in their lifetime seven different careers doesn't matter what you do you're going to be all over the place. Well, I listened to that. Um, it was wrong um, in many ways. Um, the career pathways are still pretty similar to what twenty is, years ago. What is the number? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know these yeah. things, but I, I was told that, and so yeah. I thought, okay, well, what am I actually trying to do here? So that, that was the first point. The second point was. Uh, I did study abroad uh, in America. Yeah. I found it uh, a transformative year being exposed to the college system, the American way of thinking, the entrepreneurial kind of yeah. impulse there. So you went was, to UCLA, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was a really big impact on me. And then the third the third was as a kid, I always did too much stuff. I never had one thing that I did. I was tried doing music and sport and math and all, all sorts of things. Um, I never really understood what I wanted to do. So I developed a different way of looking at things. Um, it wasn't by design. Um, I, well, the next phase is um, I started this company with my brother mm-hmm. um, called Convergent. But then slowly over time what we, what we did is we, we found different ways of operating, not build a company, sell the company, done, but mm-hmm. Convergent in many ways and punctuate this if, if you need me to wrap things up. No. But, um, Convergent was really the first, the first epoch after, after university. Mm-hmm. So we built this company, Visualization and Infrastructure. We found it was a jail of our own creation. We mm-hmm. couldn't explore other stuff. We were the visualization guys. And mm-hmm. So we went, okay, well, let's explore VR, not just because we like the tech, but to understand what it means to not be owned by the company that yeah. we have. And, you know, do we build one company that does everything or a series of targeted things that can operate in different, mm-hmm. different domains and modes? Great. And that was an experience unto itself. Um, similarly with the film industry um, and similarly with some of my other interests. So the way I describe it is there's five different domains. There's obviously the personal personal life, but yeah. then there's the, uh, the professional life. So that's the businesses and yeah. creative industries. Mm-hmm. There's the academic life um, back at university. Mm-hmm. That's good fun. Mm-hmm. There's the governance life and then there's the arts life, which each of those are somewhat in tension Mm-hmm. But it's a dynamic sort of tension. It's it's something that allows me to be a generalist, not necessarily beholden to uh, one or a, one or another of the different uh, kind of domains of interest. So we'll, we'll get into. Does that make sense? It does, and we'll get into your university and education piece soon. But I think about Elon Musk, right? who has created so many different businesses all with a common purpose, right? The common purpose is to create interplanetary species that, you know, that's his ultimate vision. So he creates 
Tesla to build the electric battery and and whatnot. He he uh, he he builds Solar City. He builds SpaceX. He builds the Boring Company. He like he builds these, which all have the ability to position ourselves to travel and travel planet you know planet systems and whatnot. When you have set up your life and you say you've got those five areas that you focus on, is it all with the same common goal? Is there a purpose in place? Is there something that you're trying to achieve, A, for humanity or for yourself? Really starting with the the light stuff first yeah. thing on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I told you we'd jump straight in the deep end. Look, <laughs> I've, I've tried other ways and it hasn't worked for me. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that I've found that does work is not treating this as a linear pathway. It's not I'm aiming at the goal, I'm going to just really push and push until we get to that, mainly because I've been wrong about everything. Mm. It's just it's not a mode I find I find helpful. Instead what it is is I have an acknowledgement that there are certain things that I find meaningful mm-hmm. and it's more of a winding. It's it's more of a winding towards and we'll never quite reach it if yeah. if 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 I could oh, I'm being quite indulgent, aren't I? Um, it, it's this idea that we're not defined by one thing and we're usually not. I mean people can say they're defined by their family and their job and certain things they've done but I found essentially that level of resolution of five things is, is, is what's useful to me and then how I operate in those domains is I have different ways of doing that. Yeah. So let's, I'm not Elon Musk. No, no, I, I understand <laughs> that but you've like from, a, from the arts and, you know, film industry and the creative industries – world that you play in you're having a severely positive impact especially within south australia and australia well hopefully yeah so we'll see so y- y- yes elon musk is like a, a stretch but you are definitely having an impact in your community which is you know kudos well done i'm i'm, I'm proud of the contributions we make um, very good just a quick note this episode is brought to you by synergy iq leaders in enabling change Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at synergyiq.com.au. So t- talk to us about the creation of Convergent and Jumpgate and let's go through that right. as a linear. Okay. Yeah. Um, Convergent, look, part of the motivation again was not necessarily we have an idea and we're going we're gonna to do this. It was... Um, looking back on it, a lot of uncertainty about what to do. And I was very wary of getting a job because I'm too competitive. I'll just mm-hmm. compete at that for the sake of it and then 10 yeah. years has passed and that's all I know how to do. So yeah. so how old were you when you started? Uh, 21. Okay. 21. Fresh out of uni. Well, originally it was in visual effects. Okay. And uh, so my younger brother who's my business partner on all of these, um, okay. Carlo, shout out, he's probably one of the few yeah. that will watch this. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, but um, no, no, we've uh, yeah, convergent. We, we we did that as a visual effects company. We very quickly found that the right time to start a visual effects company was in the '90s, mm. well, because the industry was growing then. Mm. It was it's kind of been a race downwards with you know, lowering costs, tax incentives, tech, yeah. all these things. Mm-hmm. And who were we to start a, a visual effects company at that time? But the time to stuff things up is in your 20s, so that's yeah. fine. But what we did find is an intersection with infrastructure because I come from an engineering background. Yeah. And we happened to find our way onto this little project with Nico Sokalis called the Adelaide Riverbank Pedestrian Footbridge. Oh, 
And we helped with the tender on that. And we were like, wow, this is amazing. We've helped actually impact the outcomes in a small way. It's not all about either my design or this, but it was we were part of the game that that ended up, well, there was a fork in the road of which Tendril was going to win and we helped impact that. And we found that really cool. And so now Convergent, we've just clocked our thousandth project. Um, Wind farms, mine sites, certain hospitals, things like that. How big is the business? Oh, we've got about 15, yeah, 15. Right. Don't need to get any bigger than that. That's, no. that's enough to give me headaches. But no, it's <laughs> it's it's what we found at about Project maybe 200 yeah. was that we weren't making pretty pictures. Okay. We were engaging in a game. There is the engineering world, which is solution-oriented, and then there is the communications world, which is people-oriented, and political, and yeah. game-theoretical, and perception-oriented. And it's, yeah. it's very different worlds. And what we found is the value wasn't in our product it was how we navigated that interface we weren't in one world we weren't in the other we were in the middle yeah and we were able to speak both languages so we actually acted almost like a translator through good spot to be in some ways but the problem is we didn't fit okay and so no one knew how to take us so we're never part of any entrepreneurial scene or anything like that but we found a pocket of value which I think is actually a, a real entrepreneurial yeah. thing is oh we found something here what do we do Absolutely. with that and your niche yeah and so then we grew that over time. We've, we work all around the country. We've got at any given time about 40 projects on. Um, in this profound space of what does the future of infrastructure look like, be it in energy or hospitals or, or bridges or whatever. Mm. So, um, yeah, really proud of what we've, what we've built there. Um, yeah. What are some of the I – mean, outside of the footbridge, what are some of the other projects that you've worked on in that space? In Adelaide? Yeah, or Australia or landmarks that people would know. Well, this is an Adelaide yeah, centric podcast, yep. which I love. By the yep. way, it's finally we're having some conversations about it. Say so this is great. Um, uh, Oban, the Oban City oh, Access yeah. Project, yep. Darlington to Torrens, um, Northern Connector, uh, Regency to Pym, um, uh, various stages of the proposed Darlington to Torrens, um, several hospitals. Um, uh, we're working on. Um, we've worked on roundabouts we work yeah, with some of the bigger. Uh, councils um there would be but we actually work on the small ones too um in terms of we do a lot with Oz minerals they're yeah. fantastic they're yeah. absolutely amazing and their support as a south australian company for smaller south australian companies has been yeah it's been fantastic we've had so, their head of people and culture on this show great they are doing some wonderful things and we're really proud to be working with them mm. so oz uh we do a lot with jbs and g yeah. um obviously we know yeah, andrew yeah. nunn he yeah. gave us a break back yeah. in the day too but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot with wind farms and particularly renewable energy. Um, yeah, great. So, yeah, I, that's just in South Australia. Yeah. But Logan Enhancement Projects, uh, a lot with the Alexa Rays in Melbourne. Yeah, wow. Um, city metro stuff, Melbourne Airport Rail things. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep going, but how long you got? It's, uh, Let's jump into Jumpgate. So the, the, okay. move, the movement then because you thought we don't fit, so we need to create another, something else here. Well, we were just unreasonable. Yeah. It's like we had our niche. But we're also shooting off with all these other ideas. Mm-hmm. And part of it was the terror of being an entrepreneur. It was I need to grow. It's mm-hmm. I need to find other ways to bring value because we weren't certain about anything and mm-hmm. here was this tech. And we tried doing other things as convergent, but we kind of clocked into this thing of there is a certain theatre to startups. If we converge in a visualisation company doing VR, mm-hmm. we're not in the VR game. Yeah. So let's start a separate company and see what happens. Okay. And it's not that hard. You know, you get the ABN, you get the brand, cost a little bit of money, suddenly you're a VR company. Mm. Now, this was 2014 and we were ridiculed. <laughs> we, it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah. 
Um, we did these things like strapped these GoPros together and ran through the banner with the Adelaide Crows and put it in Cro-Mania and everyone put the headsets on. They're like, oh, it's a bit average, isn't it? It's like, oh, that's okay, cool, fine. And all of a sudden something happened. All of a sudden there was a, a switch that was flicked and we were cool. Mm. I was like, oh, this is the next big thing. I'm like, but you just told us we were ridiculous. Yeah. What, are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but we saw that tech wave come and hit. And how? How did you see it before it actually arrived? Carlo, my brother. Yeah. So he was a Kickstarter for the Oculus DK1. Yeah, wow. And he was also mining Bitcoin I think back in 2012 or something like that. But like, it, like he's also a, a different sort of thinker that hasn't gone through the traditional pathways. Mm. And so I've learned to listen to him on a lot of these things mm. and also it's interesting and it's fun. And mm. So, yeah, the first things we did was football. Um, called up Vince Ciccarello. We got an introduction to Vince Ciccarello yeah. and he was like, yeah, sure. So plonked it on stage and off we went and um, off it went, yeah. So that led to a whole series of other adventures as the wave then caught us and kicked us all the way through, um, which has resulted in us working with the AFL umpires. You might see the GoPros yeah. on the chest. Yeah, yeah. I won't say too much about that. Um, defence projects, we work a lot with University of Newcastle and, and in the medical space, but... On the other side, there's high performance yeah. and then there's high concept, the contemporary art space, mm. which we're really proud of how Jumpgate stayed away from the big kind of the big show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our compatriots from 2015, 16 did that and went under. Um, and we've kind of gone, no, we're in Adelaide. We need to compete our own way. And so we've slowly gathered confidence in that and we keep plugging away. So that's Jumpgate. But we we could go into every single business all day, but we've got a podcast. I'm, I'm in your capable hands. Yeah, whatever I, you want I me do to want carry to jump on. Jump into a few other questions, uh, and I really want to deep dive into all of your work as we work our way through this podcast. But can we um, can we just again touch back on a who from. I know when I wrote you there, I sent you a message last night saying, who is Anton? And you just wrote back, ha ha. So it, it, it's a big question. But I know that mathematics, data science, like your study and, the, you know, you said one of your pillars was was education and study and growth and learning. How has the mathematics element shaped your life? And I know you've done a lot of uh, work in philosophy as well or you're studying philosophy as well can you elaborate on how did how did I how did I end up from jump gate over in over at university again yeah and 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 actually while we're on that how do you manage so many hats how do you put all these hats on because you've got convergent jump gate artisan group double bishop gmti then on top of that you're on six boards (laughs) You're the chair of Adelaide Film, which is this beautiful uh, brochure sitting in front of us. You're board member of Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. You're board member of South Australian Entrepreneurship Advisory Board since inception, which I know you said that earlier. The board member of ACE Open, the Uni of Adelaide Creativity and Culture Board, Lot 14 Arts and Culture Board, Adelaide Biomed City Board, like plus you five. How do you? How does this? My, my brain cannot actually grab. Okay, so which one first? How do I manage it, or how do how did I end up back in academia? Let, actually, let's go to the management first, and then okay. let's talk about academic. Um, I needed to move out of. There's, there's several reasons. First of all, with Convergent, um, 
the more I get involved with projects, the, like it ha- doesn't always have a positive impact. Yeah. So to separate myself out, I signed up to other things. And I created this pull effect to create the room for the company to actually evolve. Really? And that, that was a, a, a mechanical reason. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason why I can manage all this is I think it's Parkinson's law. It's the time to complete a task is proportional to that which is available or something. It's, okay. yeah. it's like, you know, I think I waste a lot of time. Yeah. I don't work that hard. <laughs> Third is my brother <laughs> and the team at Convergent, um, James, Cameron, I could go through all of them. They – We've really promoted the open source kind of philosophy in how we work, which yep. is all about autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so as I've moved away, they've actually stepped into a lot of these these different areas. Um, and so I couldn't do any of this without them. But it's, it was one of the advantages of being an entrepreneur. Once we hit a stable kind of state, we have time and space for other adventures. Mm-hmm. Another reason is if I don't have kids yet, so I have all this time compared that to a lot of my helps, friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but also the 40 under 40 kind of hit me. Yeah. Um, I got acknowledged for the first time for what I was doing um, when that was first launched. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was quite emotional about it because we're, we're not part of an industry that has ways of supporting people with career growth and transformation. Mm-hmm. We're out here often no one wanting us to succeed because we're upending so many things mm-hmm. and f- we were acknowledged. And I found it kind of terrifying, not just like because it didn't sit well but – I was looking around and I was like, I'm not that young. Like I'm 35. Sure, we can say, oh, that's young. But it's not. And, you know, a best mathematician, a mathematician does his best work by 23 or not at all. But honestly, it's like from a, um, a leadership perspective, it's this is the cohort that's going to be leading the state in 10 years' time. Mm. What are we doing now? And I kind of felt a sense of pressure with that, not just a celebration of what I'd done but an expectation of what I was going to do. So it's like, oh, shoot, okay, well, I've got some opportunities and – I went with, with some of them, um, particularly joining the Adelaide Film Festival mm-hmm. board. Um, but then I found myself at an intersection where there is really a deficit, which is who is stepping forward in some of these domains? Who has the time and space to step onto these boards at 35? Mm. Not a lot of people. Really. So because I've done this entrepreneurial thing, I actually do have the privilege to be able to spend my time running around championing the Adelaide Film Festival. Or more importantly, I was able to stand up on some things which a lot of people didn't have the freedom to stand up on because it would have affected their livelihoods or things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors in there. Um, I've tried getting off some boards, but, you know, I kind of love them too much. It's, yeah. it's, it's great fun. And I really enjoy con- contributing to, to all of those boards at the moment. It's such an incredible um, experience, um, particularly at this age. When people say follow your passion, yeah, right, and that's – definitely what entrepreneurs would do they would follow their passion they would build something and create something you seem to have many different types of passions is there anyone that you love the most like is that you know you say you love all your babies is there anyone that you actually just it makes you sing what did i say you love your children all the yeah. same um it's a different sort of affection um i guess but the I'll reframe the question. What do I do when no one's watching? Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm very interested in data science in, in storytelling. Yeah. So that, I mean, we talk about an intersection of, yeah. of, of things. It's those two worlds colliding, the creative impulse and, and mathematics, the language of mathematics, not from an analytical perspective. And it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've been curious about it for a long time and it's only been in the past six months that things like DALI and Bloom and 
all the natural language processing toolkits are now starting to enter the mainstream and people are going, oh, heck, we've got to grapple with this. Mm. So um, that's something that I, I spend my weekends doing sometimes. Um, but um, that's not to say I don't love Convergent and what we're doing with Jumpgate. It's just um, we do, I do them for different reasons. And I'm not really following my passion, so to speak. It's, mm. I'm on a series of adventures and once they start, we're, we're on them until they end. So. Well, let's dive into the data science. And storytelling. Let's jump around yeah, there. If you're, if like I feel that. like I'm coming across as one of those lizards that can look at two directions. <laughs> it's, oh, I find your life amazing. I actually really do. I think there's there's so many great things happening, and you're at the forefront of so many things. But this storytelling piece, I am obsessed with storytelling. I it is something that I um, believe fundamentally as a way of influence or as a way of being able to capture an audience or being able to actually uh, hold the room, storytelling is the is the foundation piece for that. And on your website, Convergen, your slogan is actually says, we, we tell stories about the future. So you've actually found a way to weave that into Convergen, which is absolutely beautiful. You make movies as well. So you tell stories through there. Yeah. So it, it seems to me that you are positioning yourself from a passion point of view. Can you tell me, as someone who's interested in learning about the art of storytelling, learning about becoming a master in storytelling, what you've learned about storytelling with the data science viewpoint? I can. I might. And jump around as much as you need to. There's a fellow at Adelaide University, um, Lewis Mitchell. He uh, collaborated on this paper which did a big data analysis of story arcs. Mm -hmm. So he mapped the sentiment arcs of stories, the emotional arcs of stories, thousands of them, the Gutenberg Fiction Collection, and used a machine learning approach to distill it down to its fundamental arcs. There are six fundamental stories from a sentiment perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's great. How does that impact, like, the other work that I'm doing? Yeah. Like, that, a lot, that's a frontier that I've actually done some work on yeah. and I'm lucky enough to be able to collaborate with Lewis in various domains. But on the other side, it's, it's the lens that I look at entrepreneurship. It's the lens that I look at learning. It's the lens that I look at everything. It's the only thing that's made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll kind of go through it. So Absolutely. stories are how we make sense of the world. It's how we pass down information, not from a scientific perspective, but from a narrative perspective of how to act in the world. When faced with certain um, situations, what do we do? And, and, and the dramaturgical kind of construction of these is deeply rooted in how we think. So we codify how we think in terms of narrative and drama and then everyone at the end of the day goes home and watches these stories and they think it's just for entertainment. Mm. It's not for entertainment, not just for entertainment. It's because we're actually trying to figure out how to make sense of the world. Mm. That's what I get really passionate about. Now, I'll jump to an area which you didn't mention, which is entrepreneurship. When I joined the Entrepreneurship Advisory That's board, coming. <laughs> that was what I could contribute. Everyone else knew about capital. Everyone else knew about all the important other factors. Yeah. And I was looking at this going, I, that's not my experience at all. My experience is this traditional 
um, monomyth arc of the known world, the unknown world, and how do you navigate that through a mode of transformation? And that's how we've constructed a lot of our adventures. It's we, we consider them adventures. It's how do we engage with unknown in a way that's small enough that it doesn't kill us. You know, it's not an adventure if the dragon can't kill you, yeah. sure. Um, but small enough that it doesn't kill us, but not so small that we don't change. So Jumpgate was an adventure in, in certain ways. Yeah. It was like, well, we can cope if that doesn't work. We go into the unknown, we come back with this knowledge, and now, okay, we've got something more to play with. And so we consider what we're doing a series of iterative adventures in all of these different domains, which seems to make sense to me. Mm. I mean, that's how we learn. That's why I've gone back to uni. That, I consider that an adventure in, in many ways. But, um, yeah, so storytelling, I'm less of a theorist and more of a pragmatist in that regard. Yeah. It's trying to figure out what I'm doing as an entrepreneur. You know, traumatic. Being an entrepreneur is traumatic in, yeah. in so many ways. But that's what's given me a, a way of grappling with what I was going through and that's what's given me a model for how to continue on that domain. I love, does this make sense? I don't know. No, like, it does. And I love your thought process of entrepreneurship being – like I, I – I, am an entrepreneur. I've started my own business here and podcast and all the above. I have never put it into the perspective of a hero's journey almost, right? Like that's the that's what you've just done, which is really amazing. I think you're right. It is traumatic. There is entrepreneurship is one of those things where you can have the worst day and best day in the same day <laughs> like in the morning that's every day <laughs> it, it's ridiculous isn't it in the morning you're grippled with this sense of anxiety on a decision that's pending or whatever right and we all know anxiety's thoughts on on the future and and and, and whatnot but then in the afternoon you're popping champagne because there's a big deal that's come through and everyone's happy and you know all the hard work's paid off right and in the same day it's unbelievable when we talk about entrepreneurship a lot we have had your friend Andrew Nunn, the, the chief uh, entrepreneur on, of South Australia on the show. We've had David Fogarty Great. as well, who is the, the founder of Udi, and they've just ticked over $400 million in sales. Simon Hackett, who brought, you know, um, the internet into Australia, really, was yep. one of the first people and, and created Internode. So can we touch on the storytelling aspect and entrepreneurship? Um, and Because and, and, you are on the advisory board. For those who are looking to grow in this world? For those who are really interested in starting something, creating an impact, whether it's in film, whether it's in tech, whether it's in services, whatever it might be, what's your advice to those when trying to embark on that journey? What, what advice will you give to your 23-year-old self now sitting in the position that you are, saying these are the things that you can learn from this is the ambiguity. This is how to deal with it. Is there any of that advice that you have? Well, I'm wary of getting advice because I'm not sure I have it all figured out. Um, don't get caught up in the theatre. Mm. So much of – or maybe I'll just, just go through my pro, my thought process with entrepreneurship and maybe some of the frustrations and yeah. the things I like, the things I don't. So I was very nervous when I got onto the entrepreneurship advisory board. Is imposter syndrome? I'm not thing? that impressed with the yeah. things I'm doing and, and we haven't raised capital and in a lot of ways we don't tick a lot of the Elon Musk, the, the yeah. Muskian but the yeah. kind of check boxes. But we, um, I found this paper that's 
it's the most cited entrepreneurship paper at the time. And it was from the 70s and it spoke about entrepreneurship in terms of three things. You have an idea, you believe it will succeed and you're willing to go after it. And that's always stuck with me because so often we conflate social entrepreneurs with the high-tech, 10x entrepreneurs with small business entrepreneurs, with people who aren't starting companies but are practicing an entrepreneurial spirit. And to me, that, that became kind of a way of framing what an entrepreneur actually is. Now, So what was it? So you have an idea. You have an idea. You believe it'll work and yet you're willing to go after it. So it's that that act that I'm willing yeah. to actually pursue this. That, yeah, that to me is an entrepreneurial impulse. Um, but a lot of people aren't willing to go after it unless they get a grant or unless they get some support from someone or unless they get certain cues. And it's it's like they're actually there's a leap of faith there. There's a certain spirit that goes along with that. Science is the culture of doubt and religion is the culture of faith. Now, I, science is, is the, the culture, culture of doubt and religion is the culture of faith. Yeah, Richard Feynman is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And the reason I raised that is I, I became somewhat like the, the term entrepreneur doesn't sit well with me in a lot of ways because it's become euphemistic for other things. Mm. It's all about the signaling. It's who's raising money, what incubator. It's almost become a structural game. As so it's almost to, like tech owns that word, doesn't it, right now? Well. It's, it does feel that way. There's a natural gravitation towards high-tech in entrepreneurship. Correct. But, you know, my great-grandfather started a bakery and, yeah. and it didn't work out. Yeah. But I started a services business. That's an no entrepreneurial endeavor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we tend to go towards high-tech, I think, for a variety of reasons. Over the past 20 years, it's been shown to be a, that's become the model, the archetypal entrepreneur, mm. the one navigating the high-tech unknown space as opposed to these other modes. But I think that's changing. We're seeing a lot more social entrepreneurs too. But just going... Just so I'm keeping a coherent line, it's, it's that was my definition for it. One of the frustrations I've found is that so much of the entrepreneurship world is based around signaling. It's you raise money to signal you're at a phase or to you know, get this incubated to signal this and it becomes so much this dance that it just it excludes so much of that conversation. So it becomes a bit of a cart before the horse in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, entrepreneurship, if, if I can give advice to anyone – it would be to stay away from the theatre. It's like you can you must stay away from it. You can participate in it, but don't let it own you, because then you're left. Everyone loves it when the, they're at the theatre, but when the when the tide goes out, you're left with everything. Yeah. You're left with holding the bag. So it's you got to be able to live with yourself, and you choose your regrets in that regard. It's like if what, you're going to do it, you're accountable for what you're going to do, and if it goes wrong, there'll be no one else around. So yeah, that's. I'm very loath to just encourage people blindly into entrepreneurship because of that. When you talk about the theatre, like the theatre of running business, the pressure, the perceived pressure, right, because you, you set targets and they're your own targets, right? I know that you, especially from a tech point of view, and you talk about investment and, and all, the, all the above, you've got shareholders, stakeholders, all the above that you need to work with. What? Is the theatre, are you alluding to emotions of the entrepreneurship? Are you alluding to the politics, the governance? What are you alluding to? Is I'm talking the, about the big the show. Whole, the whole thing. These are our, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, the kind of, I won't talk about Lot 14. Um, well, I, I will in many ways. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's theatre associated with that. Now, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Yeah. I mean it in terms of like entrepreneurship, 
plays out at a personal level, sure, but it also pay, plays out at a social level. We've got a certain subset of the population need to be out there on the edge playing with the new ideas because we've certainly got this subset down here who don't want anything to change and they're probably not high in openness, etc. Yeah. So a lot of the signaling that goes along with, oh, we've got Google here, we've got Amazon here, that that to me is 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 theatre in a lot of ways. Yeah. I'll call it signaling to be kinder. It's okay. so much of things is about perception yeah. in the entrepreneurship space. Now I'm not against kind of influencing from the level of perception. I mean, reflexivity is everywhere. It's the way we perceive things affects the world around us. But it can go too far. It can go too far. And one thing I'm curious about in South Australia is I love the high-tech space and the space industry and all of that. But when you look at entrepreneurship, we tend to focus on the high-tech spaces. Even in medical instance, we mm. focus on biomed. Yeah. There's so many other entrepreneurs going around and there's so many other problems to solve such as, oh, I don't know, hospital ramping. Mm. It's, we, no, but we tend to focus on very abstract domains for our entrepreneurs at the moment. Mm. AI, cyber, space, very difficult for people to grapple with in a day-to-day life sense. It's all the way out here. I actually think a lot of what we need to grapple with is a lot closer to home. Mm. So I'll, I'll pause there. No. So when you... How am I going, Daniel? No, I, feel like, I feel like I'm swimming in multiple directions sometimes. Well, is the, the beauty of having podcast. these in-depth podcasts, right? We'll, we'll end up at one point somewhere. The idea of going after it and being willing to go after it though, you know, going back to your quote, having an idea, thinking and believing that it will work and then going after it. And you said, you use the words leap of faith. I remember the day I walked, I remember the day I walked out of my previous job to start this. No, I actually remember I'm an Indiana Jones fan. Are you an Indiana Jones fan by any chance? I'm acquainted yeah, with Indiana yeah. Jones movies, but not Yeah, so there's a there's a there's a part, I think it's in the Temple of Doom or, or one of the or no, the last crusade, it's the last crusade, right? Where he takes the leap of faith, he takes a step onto the invisible bridge. And that's kind of how I felt. I had to believe that there was a bridge there. I had to believe that there was something that I could step on. I had to believe in myself. I had to believe in my ability that if something was to go wrong, I would have the skill set and now to be able to handle it. So when we, when you talk about having the willingness to head out and take that leap of faith, why do we see so many people have the willingness to take that step but then stop at the first sign of issues or hurdles or problems? And what do you believe? as a leader in this space that these entrepreneurs can do to overcome those hurdles? First of all, I love that when you wanted to explain a turning point in your life, you went to a movie reference. You see what I mean? It's, it's, um, I remember watching the Fire Festival documentary. Do you know the Fire Festival? I don't, know. It's this fellow who, um, uh, I think it was with Ja Rule, they, um, uh, they started a music festival on island yeah. from bought tickets and it was a, it was a shambles yeah it's a fantastic documentary i know they they do them now on like theranos and yeah, yeah we yeah. work and whatnot but i remember watching this and it was kind of an exercise in dealing with trauma um, looking at someone who was in too deep mm-hmm. and there was a fellow in it he um he should have been as angry as anyone of of what happened but he said he was kind in his appraisal he said desperate people do desperate things i I'm not against people stopping. 
I think that's often the best decision rather than just commit until it works. Yeah. Because um, we often don't see the wreckages that are left by entrepreneurs that can't let go. On the other hand, there is a certain that you need to have that certain or sense of faith with you know, confidence that you can actually adapt and, and overcome the challenges at hand. So I'm disagreeing with myself. I'm putting two things forward because I actually think it's something in the middle uh, called the zone of proximal development. Mm-hmm. It's you need to have an understanding if you're reaching too far or too shallow. If you reach too shallow, you don't get anywhere. If you reach too far, it all falls apart. So what is that? There tends to be a as there's a curve associated with this. What mm-hmm. is the right point? for you mm. and if i could if it, to make it relevant because you said people might be watching i mean yeah. it's that's something that i found with entrepreneurship it was finding what was right for me not trying to run anyone else's race but if you're not good at public speaking try public speaking or maybe that's that's too much maybe try speaking to your friends about it maybe maybe aim smaller um, and it's not about just reaching once it's reaching over and over and over and over again and slowly you're terrain gets mapped a little more mm-hmm. or you develop you know the ability to reach a bit further each time and it becomes a skill set that then starts to grow and yep. you can nurture yep. and and in any in any walk of life it's like if you wished you went back and studied well it doesn't mean you've got to sign up to do a phd maybe buy a book of the domain you're interested in and, and take a look at that so mm. that that's that's kind of how I'd consider it um, that zone of proximal development Careful of reaching too far. If you reach too shallow, you're, ne- you're never going to make yeah. make the change. So, I listened to a podcast recently, uh, very recently, and they were talking about um, entrepreneurship and all the above. And then they got into the word trauma, right? Which you used. You said entrepreneurship and starting a business is traumatic. And the study. So the, the podcast was with a guy by the name of Mo Gordat who was – I think he was the COO of um, of Google and now he has written a book on happiness and, and all the above. And he talks about um, – he talks about trauma and he talks about the experience of trauma and he interviewed 12,000 people about their traumatic experiences and said, if you could, would you – Erase that traumatic experience from your life. But take into the consideration that if you erase that traumatic experience from your life, you lose everything that came after it. You lose the friendships, you lose the learnings, you lose the experiences, you lose everything that follows. 99.9% of the people said they wouldn't erase it, that they would still go through the trauma. And we're talking about extreme trauma right, that some of these people went through. One thing that I've learned and I would love for you to elaborate on on, on it as well is that, yes, entrepreneurship is traumatic, but every single time you have that gut-wrenching feeling, every single time you have that popping of the champagne, you're, you're building like it almost feels like this piece of fabric that is, like you said, it's iterating, it's growing every single time. Why, when we're in these situations, do we give up? When ninety nine percent of us are saying, "Actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that." I, I believe there's a limit. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm v- 
very wary of romanticizing failure. Um, we can, I hear a lot of, of statements like, um, we just need to embrace failure more and things like mm. that. I actually don't agree with that mm-hmm. at all. Uh, I think it's too low resolution and it can be taken in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I do get that, you know, my life has been defined by you know, certain dark times and that's resulted in preparing me for other ones that came, but I have seen people that have been knocked out completely. Yeah. And it's I'm wary of glamorizing that too much. Now, mm-hmm. part of why I have multiple companies is I can walk away from any of them at any time. Mm-hmm. And if you can't walk away, you're, you're captured by it. And sometimes you can have the strength to be able to find a way out. Sometimes you can't. And if you, if you can't walk away from it because it's all tied up in personality, and also the personal, the professional, the even – families are tied up in a lot of these things it's if you can't walk away from it then you've got to be very careful of the consequences of your actions now i get that that's this is often why i'm not really part of the entrepreneurial kind of narrative mm-hmm. because archetypally it's like you know you've got to go after it everything's great fabulous cool there is a limit there is a limit and i'm just wary of not having that in the conversation um and yeah maybe i'll just pause there i do love the idea though you said you you what was the word you used you you're trapped by it almost if you can't walk away i run a business that i love um i put a lot of time and effort into countless amount of hours then you throw in a podcast on the top of it and, of course and you do too much don't and, you? and add I, I and like so for me i almost have two things going on at once um really want this to succeed, really want it to grow, really want it to scale, really want to become a household brand and a name, especially within South Australia, let alone Australia, and grow that oh. that model. But I feel like, and maybe this is something I can learn from you when you say if you're not walking around, I feel like if I'm not putting in the time and effort, then I reduce the opportunity for this business to grow. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. You obviously don't have that attitude given the scope of what you've, you're doing. I have had that, opportunity, uh, that, that attitude in the past and there's a tremendous pressure on, on the individual in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you're not alone. In mm-hmm. fact, most entrepreneurs that I know that get up and give the big keynotes, you get one and a half glasses of wine until after the fact <laughs> and it's a very different story. <laughs> yeah. But – We tend to think about entrepreneurship just from that human, individual lens as well. So much of this is not in your control. What happens if there's a financial crisis tomorrow? Like a, a really big one. Yeah. It doesn't matter how strong your vision is about we're going to be the best in the world and yeah. all, like obviously yeah. speaking. You can get sides. Melodramatically, but it's like play. a pandemic yeah. comes into play. It's, and it's those feelings are found to be really interesting. I actually think that's the good stuff um, that – like, yes, we have our visions, but we're also aiming lower as well. We're playing chess one move at a time rather than trying to play 20 moves at a time. And we're mm. acknowledging that even be it tech waves, be it economic waves, be it social waves, be it cultural waves, be it demographic waves, we're in the middle of some very complex systems and there's a certain arrogance that comes with, oh, I'm going to have a vision and impose that on the world. It's We're as much listening as we are trying to. Like, again, I'm, I talk in, in these things that might appear to be um, antithetical, but it's that tension that allows us to find our way, we feel. 
It's, I mean, even from South Australia, there are inherent challenges here. It doesn't matter how confident I am. I'm not in Silicon Valley. Mm. So either I can pretend like I am and just off we go or we can play our terrain and go, well, what is right for us at this stage? What's right for South Australia at this stage? What's right for Australia at this stage? And at this time, at this this point in time as well. So, yeah, we try to balance out those sorts of ways of thinking mm. to figure out what we do because we're always faced with decisions day to day. And that's, to me, where the battle is won and lost. How do you know what's right? At well, the I don't. End, no, well, how do you know what's right for this terrain? Like you say, I'm not in Silicon Valley. I'm here in Adelaide. I need to understand what's right for this terrain, what's right for this community, what's right for this my potential customer here. What, what, how do you do that research? Like what, where does that information come from? Well, I, and every 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 business is going to have its differences, right? But of course, what, of course. What is the general makeup of that understanding the terrain? Um, I'm still learning about the terrain. I yeah. loved Adrian Temple's mm. podcast that yeah. we did with him the other day because that that is context we don't talk about. Yeah. That's part of the terrain. But for us, it's like rather than trying to solve it, it's how do we navigate it? And again, that's why we aim for we don't overpromise. We don't try to change the world on every single project we do. It's as much what's our role to play? How can we bring value in the immediate term? And then over time, how does that build? Um, because we don't have an ecosystem that has a huge amount of capital and gentrification being poured in to allow for big successes and failures. It's we've learned over time about that propensity or that the propensity for adaptation. Yeah. Um, that proximal kind of zone. It's how much can we push things and then when are we over pushing them? Um, because we have critical limitations across the across everything. Mm. Um, the other way I'll approach it is um one of my supervisors at uni um I was very nervous about going back. You know, mature age student, my brain's turned to mush, whatever. Yeah. Um, and you're studying now the master's? They're finishing that at the moment. Of philosophy. Yeah. It's an MPhil in mathematical and computer sciences. Uh, okay. Great. So great. Um, he said, Anton, there's two toolboxes. Yep. One which is the set of tools that you can use safely. Mm-hmm. Call it machine learning. I don't know, I would say call it specific tools within machine learning. Yep. I can use those safely. I've, I've, I've been trained on them. The other is the toolbox of domains you can navigate safely. And that's, that's, an, that's a question of experience. That's a question of like we've been around football, for instance, for 10 years now mm. and we've tried and failed at things, we've succeeded at others, great. That to me is as important as that. And so it's, it's having this sense of patience if we are going to be changing things of how quickly we can actually build that experience through the adventures we're having. So... That's kind of how we look at it. It's brilliant. If it, I don't know if it is. It just works well, for us, to be honest. Well, I, I, um, and that I think is probably the main point that we need to take out of this is that you actually need to figure out what works for you and for your situation yeah. and for your life and your family and whatever it might be. I, what, it, it is very easy to figure out when you're wrong, though. You run out of money. Mm, yeah. Or you oversell something well, this and you is lose the, a relationship. This is the fear. It's like it's not just this internal mm. kind of I'm, I'm self-developing. It's no, 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 no. It's being we're in games and we're forced to actually deal with these things. Yeah. And off we go. Well, one thing that's not spoken about a lot, and I'll get vulnerable here if I have to, the, the fear of running out of money, the fear of cash flow is huge from – an entrepreneurial point of view or even just any business point of view, isn't it? it, it and, and a leadership point of view of understanding 
how do I keep these lights on? Well, how do you deal with that fear? Well, you just push harder. I think, oh, well, you just find another way or figure it out. Yeah, you, I, I don't know. I don't know there's one answer to that. But how do uh, you how do you deal with that fear? Oh, ask I'm going to start interviewing you. And with, I, I play into the theatre sometimes. Right. Like I do. I get emotional. I get caught up in the in the fact that, you know, everything we're working hard for could fall over at any one point. Someone could pull the rug out. The pandemic could come along. Like I, I and like I understand there's a matter of mindset here and bringing it back and, and, and concentrating on what you can control. Do I have control over this situation? You do that diagram. But it, 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 you, you, that flurry goes out and then you bring it in. Right? So well, when people talk about entrepreneurs need to be fearless, what do you, what do you say to that? That your fear isn't warranted. You should just be fearless. That's well, what entrepreneurs should be, right? Yeah. Well, that's what that's what's often said. But I don't know that that is something that can actually be practiced and and delivered upon. Oh, but this is part of the problem. Yeah. We, we have these things that are said, and I don't, I think it sets people up to fail it because does. then they feel a sense of guilt that they're terrified. Mm. I, yeah. So look, I mean, so you say you're, you're you're saying that I'm buying the wrong story. Well, I'm saying that the lived experience is often very different than the narrative. Yeah. And we can lean into the narrative, but I, I get, I, I find it hard when I see the narrative and then I talk to entrepreneurs who are actually not living that. And it's, it's almost misrepresentative. They're forced to do the theatre, but then the, the fact is down here. So they're living two lives in many ways. Mm. I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating. I don't, I'm not criticising it. No. It's, it's a necessity in a lot of ways. But look, the way we think, it, we think about it is, um, uh, Fear, fear is a useful thing, um, but it's it's useful to be afraid of the right things. I mean, are you more afraid of running out of money? Or are you more afraid of not continuing on the journey you're on? And that's actually a calculus, which is mm. – I know it's a negative calculus, but it's a lot easier to define pain than it is joy. Yeah. So it's which one are you more afraid of? And then the next question we go to is, well, just because you're afraid doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It's like if it's meaningful enough, that's a question of courage. I mean, there is no courage without fear, right? If mm. it's just easy, well, just go ahead and do it. Off we go. And it's like, no, 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 I've got more respect for someone that's terrified but finds it meaningful enough to actually go ahead and do it despite that. Not because they have to do it but because they find it meaningful enough to overcome that. Mm. Sorry, I'm getting really no. now, but it's. I think it's, what's really interesting is like as you were saying that then, what was going through my mind is about what is it that I'm actually fearful of? Am I fearful of running out of money? No, actually, it's probably not the story that I'm telling myself. Am I fearful of not continuing the journey? Not really because I believe I've got the mindset and ability to pick up anything and carry on, right, and start something new or I'll just knock on Anton's door and say, hey, can I come work with you? <laughs> Whatever, right? Like I've got a network that can help me pick myself back up again. Right. As you were talking then. And I, now you understand why I have multiple things going. Yeah. And as you were talking then, I was literally asking myself or thinking to myself, is the fear ego-based? Is the fear based on the simple fact that I do not want to fail or be seen as a failure? Even though the entrepreneurial world idolizes failure, you need a failure, you need this, you need that. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be seen to fail. I don't want to let people down in that process as well. The people that work with us, the people that we support, the customers that we work with. Sure. That's probably 
more what would sit in my gut more than anything else and letting people down. Yeah. Yeah. That I deeply agree. Yeah. Well, look, one of the things I found most meaningful about entrepreneurship is if you want to know all of your hopeless inadequacy, start a business. <laughs> That's right. Because you will project it everywhere. Yeah. And then you've got to deal with it. Yeah. Then you've got to deal with it. And mm. that's part of why I talk like this is because I, I'm not perfect by any stretch. I've got all yeah. sorts of you know, things that I'm trying to grapple with. But it's why I've gone back to university. I've, yeah. I have to sort that out. I mean, here's another one. I, am, I find it hard to be confident all the time, particularly in these domains that I'm very unconfident. Mm. I've got a lot of doubt about. So I go to university because that's a way of having a space I can grapple with doubt rather than projecting that onto a company that requires me to be confident. Mm. It just separates it. And that's worked for me. That's worked for me. But it's, you know, family can play this role. Having, you know, a partner that's going with you through those moments of crisis, there's all sorts of different strategies and tactics you can do. But it's, it's you will project it on your business and it's you either face it or you let it mm. just what, become part what, of what the business is. I mean, university, you're doing the, the field in – data science and mathematics do which is obviously a a learning right but to me and correct me if i'm wrong it seems very, a, a tactical type of learning more than a behavioral type of learning what do you mean well in data science and mathematics are you learning about self absolutely you are absolutely okay can you elaborate I, I see the world through the models that I have of it. Ah, um, okay. Uh, there is a running joke with my supervisors. Whenever I do a course, I'd end up consulting in it shortly after. <laughs> no, but like, okay, so there was one fabulous course on networks, on yeah. network analytics. Yeah. And understanding how to grapple with what social networks are, um, be them hierarchies and businesses or business networks. And whilst it was a theoretical um, language, suddenly I was looking at my world through those lenses. Yeah. Okay. And I was looking at, all of the hierarchies around Adelaide and how there aren't many weak links between them. Mm. And so then I'm mapping the startup ecosystem with the AB using a social network mm. analysis and suddenly it's like, oh, okay, this is helping me understand something that I hadn't put my finger on. There, there, look, there's an, aha, there's an well, aha moment. Well, it's given you a new perspective, yeah. And I believe that that's part of the, I don't want to call it self-development, but it's like that's part of what I found really rewarding in this, that aha moment when, and it, it, sometimes it's in literature, sometimes it's in mathematics when you understand it and it's like, ah, it was like a truth that was always waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, the light bulb goes off. Yeah, but it was just waiting for you to catch up on that. Mm. And so that's that, that's what I find really rewarding in this. And, and call me a romantic about academia. That's honestly where I think a lot of the value is. But are you learning, I think where my question come from, you talked about projecting emotions, projecting doubt onto businesses. Yeah. Are you learning how to not project that doubt? Absolutely. Is that through the confidence that you're building and the perspectives that you're gaining through your education? Again, sometimes, but also sometimes doubt's a healthy thing. Mm. Here's an example. I go onto a footy club. I say, I've got a VR headset. You know, your players are fast, mm -hmm. your players are fit, your players are skillful. It's the above-the-shoulders training. That they, you know, they've got limited time on the park. We can simulate that in VR. They go, great, fantastic. That's a good startup sell. Problem is, none of the players have ever learned how to play football using a headset. None mm. of the coaches 
have ever done that either. Mm. You've got some that love it, some that hate it. We don't know anything about the technology. We, um, from a language perspective, we also don't know how it fits in a week-to-week coaching perspective, what's relevant. Mm. Maybe the coaches are struggling with clarity of narrative messaging. Um, maybe there are some technical issues. I can, the list goes on. We found a million different ways it could go wrong. Mm. So now when we go to clubs, we wear that doubt on our sleeve because it's a healthy sort of doubt. It's like I'm not going to claim that this is going to solve every problem, but I'm confident that we are enough experience to be able to navigate it for what you're trying to do. Or if they're trying to do too much, we'll just say, look, guys, maybe we'll recommend something else. So, like, I'm wary of, of saying doubt is a bad thing. I think doubt can be a healthy thing and it can be an unhealthy thing and it's all situational dependent. Sorry, I'm getting all razzed no, up now. No, like, no, I, no, I love it. I think when you are going into those football clubs though and there's that element of doubt, there is also an element of certainty of what benefit they're going to get from this, isn't there? Nah. There isn't. Oh, no, no, no. So what are you selling? <laughs> like, And how do you? That's why we don't sell to clubs. In fact, okay. the last few times we've actually done it for free. Okay, so it's now about gathering of information mm-hmm. and data. Yeah. But look, it's not just about I'm going to do X service to bring value. You might want to do X dollars worth of service to have a 50% chance of bringing some value. Okay. There is a There's other ways to do business. Well, there's a probabilistic component mm-hmm. of this, and that's what startups are. A lot of the time money is going into these startups to diversify against everything else. Mm-hmm. It's like something a Netflix might come along and knock out our blockbuster investment. So yeah. we've got to bet on the you know, the curveballs out here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's that's why I don't know. It's 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 tough to talk about because VR is still considered to be in the in the box of high tech and mm-hmm. really open. We've got to really try everything there, but we now know more than enough about it to know what the problems are. Mm-hmm. And that's where my frustration kicks in. It's when we're still talking about those conversations and clients are signing up to that when it's like, but we've already we've already tried that. Like, yeah. What's next? So, yeah. yeah. Where does the innovation keep coming from? And, and you know, you, you're obviously working in so many areas. Um, does innovation come from the point of just being able to think about something or the other perspectives that you're learning from all these other companies that you're able to bring in? So say with Convergent Artisan Group, Double Bishop, whatever, all those businesses that you do run and then you go, okay, something I learned here I could bring to Conversion. Is that where the innovation comes from? We're, we're exposed to some pretty incredible walks of life yeah. and I'm very lucky to have had that. Um, we meet different people, we have different influences, we see different challenges um, and that gives us a um, that gives us an exposure to a lot of a lot of unknowns to navigate. Mm-hmm. The where does it come from? We've stopped looking for solutions. We've started looking for better problems. This is another – I'm flipping the table again on something. It's it's a lot of the orthodox thinking amongst some entrepreneurship is we've just got to solve this problem with a new solution. The argument I've got is, well, why doesn't that solution already exist? Why has no one thought of that? Are we suddenly smarter than everyone that's come before us? Mm. Or is there a better problem we can solve? And Moneyball is a really funny example of this. You know, Moneyball the – Oh, I love maybe. it. Yeah. People think it's about they introduced data science into baseball. No, that's not what they did. He actually asked a deeper a deeper question, which is um, there's a scene where um, uh, he asks, what's the problem? And they say, well, we're trying to replace this player who has these incredible stats. And he goes, no, what's the problem? And the 
came up with another thing. He said, no, the problem is that there's rich teams, there's poor teams, there's 50 layers of crap, and then there's us. And he aimed at solving that rather than trying to play the game that everyone else was playing. So he went, what's a deeper problem that we can start to look at? And then what are the obvious solutions there? And that to me is how we can compete rather than chasing after Sydney firms or Melbourne firms or our competitors internationally. It's like how with the time and space that we have in Adelaide, can we look at problems that no one's even ready to grapple with yet? That to me is, is, is what, that's what's exciting. That's where a lot of the innovation comes from. Um, Finding better problems. How, how do you, I know you do a bit of work in mental models and in that space. I know you love that world. How do you position yourself to ask those questions about finding the, the bigger problems. Like it, it seems like a, a rabbit hole that could be hard to find. Um, it's pretty easy. It is? It's really easy. Explain. Daniel, what are you frustrated with at the moment? Oh, <laughs> I don't reckon we've got enough time on this. No. Give me uh, one. My health. Your health. Yeah. Maybe your model as well. Yeah. In what way? So – <laughs> funny thing to say about your health. No, it's like <laughs> there's this idea that if you're frustrated by something, then your model's off. Mm. And rather than – As in the model that you're working to? Yeah, working because you're with. expecting something to happen and something different happens. Yeah. Or you want something to well, happen. Well, that's, the, that's the, the, the so it goes, okay. definition of frustration, isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. So what's going on there? And I found that's really useful in listening to – how I'm reacting to things and I'm temperamentally not great sometimes, particularly mm. when I've got you know, a million things I'm trying to yeah. deal with and suddenly a model starts breaking down. I'm like, well, maybe I'm thinking about that wrong. Maybe I need to flip that on its head. And, and I've, that's tended to be what's, what's been most useful for me, going, okay, what's frustrating? Let's flip it. Let's play with it and, and, and why is it happening? And then let's explore, okay, maybe I need to rethink that, um, rethink my expectations. Like, for instance, the entrepreneurial side of things. They used to get really frustrated at the theatre. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, maybe it's just a two-dimensional thing. We've got what's actually happening and then the theatre and we need to exist in a two-dimensional domain. Ah, okay, it's not frustrating anymore. They're now, it's now sophisticated enough to deal with that as mm. it is. But the problem is then it compounds and I start sounding like this with all this combinatorical complexity. <laughs> so, no, but like that, that's where I found is a really healthy place to look. As I'm on these adventures, what's frustrating and then, okay, well, what's that revealing? Let's start thinking about things differently. Yeah, Let's start okay. to look into that more. So, for example, can we put this into a practical terms? If sure. I'm saying I'm frustrated by my health, right? That's a hard one. Let's go. Let's go. Wait. Let's mean, not do that. I'll wait. Wait is the other one. So, why are you frustrated by it? Well, I'm cut a few extra kilos. Don't have enough time to uh, put into my own personal Why training. Why don't you have enough time? Well, on? this is the thing. I ask these questions every single day and I think it's actually recently that I have discovered that unless this vessel is working, this business hasn't got anything to, <laughs> to Do you know what I mean? Like right, I, so I poked at you a little bit yeah. and what's it revealed? Well, it's revealed exactly where I've landed, I think, which is, you know, put the, you know, using the aeroplane analogy, put the mask on your face first before anyone else. Well, look, I'll, I'll poke at you a little bit more. Is it because you're self-conscious about it or because you're worried about what happens if you go down because of the pressure that's on you? Are you fit like, I mean, I, I don't want to get too into it on a podcast, but like. No, I am happy to talk about it because mm -hmm. I, I think I'm not the only one going through this. So if I can share my experience and I want sure. other people to learn from it as well. 
I think it's because I'm not in peak condition to perform in the role that I play. Right. It's like you think about football, you know, you want your you want your midfielders to be in peak condition. You want them to be able to run all day. You want them to be eating right. You want them to be have their fitness at a certain level. You want their skin folds at a certain level. You want their mindset to be in a certain way. They're high-performing. They're elite athletes, the best in the world. I feel footballers are the best in the world at what they do mm-hmm. and it's because of the training, the effort and the sacrifice that they make. Right. So I put a lot of time, effort and sacrifice into the business and but I don't actually really concentrate on what is the most important part of that, which is managing myself, Why managing not? my ind- I, it's a it's a time and priorities thing, right? I think at the moment I have got my priorities confused. Okay, and I think it's just a matter of spinning that. And I think, but I, this is something that I've come to conclusion. Do you agree? So or how are you going to spin that? Well, I mean, I've, now that everyone's heard this on the podcast, I dare say there's going to be a few people holding me account. But I think it is an area where I need to start reviewing my models and reviewing my. There we are. Yeah, reviewing my and Part of the first step I've found with a lot of these things is speaking it into existence, mm. um, being able to talk about it, being able to be vulnerable about it. But even just poking you a little bit, it's like we all know that we've got our things we need to deal with. Yeah. But at what stage do you deal with them is the question, mm. particularly when everyone's drowning, and particularly yeah. as an entrepreneur where you're drowning on a daily basis. Yeah, all things. Like if the priorities are wrong, it's easy to say, I'll oh, just change your priorities. It's like, no, no, no. How are you going to build – enough of a foundation to make that pivot easy. Yeah. Better than easy, something that actually becomes a strength. Mm. And that's what I've tried to do. Is I've gone, okay, well, rather than treating it as a um, as a burden, it becomes something that's a feature. Mm. And then that becomes something I can grapple with, but I need to externalise it. I need to find other institutions or communities that will hold me accountable to it because mm. the pressure you're under, you just get sucked back in. Yeah. You know, you might try for a few weeks, but yeah. Yeah, no. habits kick back in. Absolutely. It's easier. And it's not resistance. just developing new habits, it's developing new structures. Mm. Um, and that's what I've found has helped me with that. Do um, you go on a course correction? Like do, do you look at your life from a point of view of every three months I'm going to review my mental models? Or do you just take it as, oh, that's starting to feel pain or I'm starting to feel the frustration there that now I'm going to review? Are you even, proactively reviewing? Even that model, model of those five domains, I started doing that every Christmas about five years ago. Yeah, that was yeah. very healthy. Personal life had gone out the window. All sorts of things were a mess. Yeah. And I started a new way of kind of thinking about that. Um, it used to be more rigid now. I'm a bit more fluid with it just mm-hmm. because life is changing so quickly. It's like you know, you've got to be – it's kind of become a habit now in certain mm. ways. So I think about it. Um, whether I'm writing stuff down or setting goals and things like that, that just tends to be every three months, but specifically at the end of the year when there's a hard punctuation mark and I can go, oh, okay, well, what just happened? Yeah. What am I aiming at next? Um, so, well, what yeah. model do you work on from a wellbeing point of view and, and from your own, like if you're you're talking about not, obje- not projecting doubt or projecting the wrong uh, message or uh, behaviours to these businesses and boards, I mean, you're – Right here we're sitting with this, you know, beautiful program of the Adelaide Film Festival which you chair. Mm -hmm. How do you bring your best self as the chair to that company 
and business and organization and community every single day. Yeah. Is there something that you do personally? Is there something that you, you know, do you practice spiritually? What, what, is, what is it that you do? It's not. We went down several rabbit holes. This is not a <laughs> rabbit hole I thought would go down. Um, uh, travel's always helped help yeah. me just to get a sense of space and time away, just change the environment. Mm-hmm. I found that's really useful. Reading helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do enough. No one ever does enough, right? Yeah. But I often find that's helpful and with regards to AF, like I've, I'll be very frank. When I was first appointed the chair, I was very nervous about mm. it. I was terrified. I've got mm. Hugo Weaving on the board. I've yeah. got these incredible filmmakers on the board. It's amazing. You know? Josh Fanning, amazing. Like who am I to chair that? Mm. And so I channeled that fear to say, well, I've got to do the work. I've actually got to put in the work here. If I'm going to take the responsibility of leading this and I'm sufficiently terrified, I've got to put in the work to make sure that I'm ready to do this and make sure that if I'm doing things, I'm doing it with a level of authority that – I can live with. So we started a philanthropy program. So I had to become a donor. I'm not asking people for money if, if you know, I'm not willing to become a donor myself. Mm. And, um, you know, whether it be AICD or whether it be finding mentors, I've, I've gone, okay, well, what, to, what do I need to do to, to make sure that I don't look back and regret this? Um, it's, yeah, I feel a sense of pressure not, not just on a self perspective so I don't want to let everyone down as well so what do I need to do if I'm going to take that responsibility and that helps kind of pull me through so is there a limit to the amount of responsibility that you can take absolutely yeah absolutely have you found that limit uh at times yes yeah 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 yeah. what does it look like and feel like when you're at that limit nah 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 too big nah we we won't go into that (laughs) you know everyone's got their limit yeah Um, and it's it's a function of of a lot of things a lot of things so yeah. No, no, maybe, maybe that's a bit too vulnerable. For okay. So. Not a worry. We'll ask that in podcast number two. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the Adelaide Film Festival and everything that you're doing in, in that world. Sure. It's exciting space. Right. It's, um, I, I want to ask you though, do you get su- a lot of support in this space? It seems as if government, um, especially recently the new government that's in place and we're talking sp- – specifically from a South Australian point of view here for this comment alone, that their their focus has moved away from potentially arts but more into health and, and stuff like that. Is that something that will disrupt the industry? Is it, are, you, are you optimistic about the film industry in Australia or here in South Australia? Where does it sit? For someone, and I'm speaking from someone who doesn't know that much, so from a layman's point of view. Right, Okay. This is where I could get into real trouble. No, um, I'm very passionate about film, mm-hmm. very passionate about storytelling. I also think South Australians need to have a voice. Mm-hmm. I also think South Australia needs to grapple with the issues of its day. This is the role of contemporary cinema mm-hmm. or contemporary storytelling. Um, this ranges from stolen generation stories. There's mm-hmm. a fabulous one called The Last Order premiering here mm-hmm. um, in the program. Um, I could wax philosophical about that for you know, for hours. But yeah. uh, whether it's that, whether it's migrant stories, whether it's our identity, we're at the intersections of so many things. Where are we actually playing these cultural issues out? So I believe in, I really believe in this intersection. I do it because it's meaningful. And this is not my company. I'm not. No, no. It's the government's. Yeah. They own it. And I'm a volunteer to be very frank. So, yeah. You know, okay. ROI for my time. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. good for the government. So look, I'm very wary about talking about government priorities. Um, they are 
faced with challenges that I can't I can't claim to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were very lucky in that the current government had an election commitment to annualise the Adelaide Film Festival. Okay. Now I'll talk about that for a moment. Adelaide Film Festival is has been a biennial event, mm-hmm. just like the Adelaide Festival used to be, just like the Fringe used to be. Mm-hmm. And typically when festivals become annual, they take off because suddenly they're not scaling up and then shutting down, scaling up and yep. shutting down, losing audiences and yep. losing people and mm-hmm. all that. And AF has received some money from the state government to help with annualisation. It has not been the only factor. We've gone out and raised the money. Yep. Iris Swain has been absolutely fantastic in building a sponsorship program and helping us get our house in order in that regard. Mm-hmm. We've set up philanthropy to help yep. bridge this gap. Ticket sales... Amazing. Mm. We've gone, let's go back to fundamentals and let's really fight to make this relevant to South Australians. So we're activating not just the CBD but the Odeon and Semaphore, yep. Capri, um, you know, Cape Blanchett's yeah. uh, Australian premiere of, of TAR is going to be there. But we're really focusing on going back to basics with that. Now, I'm not critical of past leaders. They've been dealt challenging hands and done the best with what they could. But Matt Kesting and the whole team and the board have really focused on getting our house in order so that we can grow well. Mm-hmm. And it's been an entrepreneurial endeavour. I'm really proud of it. So um, the program is, as I think it's seven South Australian first-time filmmakers. Brilliant. So we actually have a generation of filmmakers in South Australia. I mean, Matty Parry on opening night, the Racka Racka Boys <laughs> on closing night, yeah. um, uh, Matt Vesley with Monolith, Sean Laheef with, with Carnifex. It, it, this, is a, this is a cultural moment yeah, for the film huge. industry. Now, to pivot away from that, there is tension within the film industry. It's complicated. On one hand, we love being a services economy in Australia, which is Hollywood comes here, it's great, creates jobs, they go home. On the other hand, we've got our own IP. How do those worlds coexist together? Mm. And what's been fascinating in South Australia is this concept of creative industries. So creative industries is not just about arts plus commercialisation. It's all about IP generation and IP commercialisation. It is, for the first time that I've seen, actually focused on seeing our storytellers as cultural commodities, that we actually need them there creating that IP rather than using all of our resources creating and commercialising other people's IP. So I'm really, really excited about where things are at the moment. Look, government support I will be grateful for in all shapes and forms. Mm -hmm. However, there's also more private investment happening nowadays. Um, There's a lot of other factors and we're just getting more competitive. It's Mm -hmm. like I'm trying to be optimistic about the situation. So I'll stop there. I'm getting all razzed up. What is the AFF... um, what does it look like in context from an Australian point of view? Where does South Australia sit as a – like are we a leader in this space? Absolutely. We are? Absolutely. Yeah. People don't realise the reputation AF has at yeah. Cannes Film Festival and Sundance. It's yeah, wow. The work of Amanda Duthie and Katrina Sedgwick before that and Matt Kesting now has been yeah. – it's, it's a soft diplomacy exercise as yeah, much wow. as anything. It, it gives local filmmakers a platform on the world stage. Mm-hmm. South Australians don't know. No. A lot of people don't even know that AF exists. No, well, I knew it existed. I, I don't know much about it. I think this is what's really interesting is that, you know, when we talk about um, the industries and we had, like we said, had Adrian Temple, we're talking about all these different industries and everyone's focusing on tech and Lot 14 and all the above. Yep. What can we do to put more emphasis and onus on this industry? Is there some? Is it something that could really take off here? Could – and – this is a really naive question, but could Adelaide become like an, another Hollywood type scenario? Is that a possibility? I don't want it to be a Hollywood type mm. scenario. I okay. think we could. I don't want to be like South by Southwest. Yeah. I want to be like what we are here. Yeah. Okay. And to me, that doesn't start with 
necessary. I mean, some people will say we've got to get the brand association. That gives us the credibility yeah. to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I believe it's time to try something a little different. Mm-hmm. Tried that? Good. I'm a big fan of supporting the local entrepreneurs. And in the film space, those are the film producers, those are the film directors, those are the writers. It's hard because you've got to get a critical mass for an industry and I get that, but we have a critical mass. And to me it's like what could we be if we fulfilled our potential? And that means not just being a services economy which has been crushed by automation. It's Mm -hmm. how do we focus on our product, going back to product, Mm -hmm. going back to – and the product is really who are the filmmakers grappling with the stories of the day. Mm -hmm. And we've – yeah, we focus on them. I think we could be something very special. Um, and AF already is. It's, it's already been happening in South Australia. We've got a tremendous culture and history of this. Um, in fact, Rolf here has got a project yep. in this one as well. So it's like it's, it's, there is a um, – we, we're negotiating from a position of strong foundations, but it's also what is AF going to be in an era of Netflix. We're okay. fighting against programming algorithms that are beamed into the homes of every South yeah. Australian bar a few. And we need things that are not just driven by entertainment and American sensibilities. We we need this. Well, that was going to be my next question. If you think in taking social media algorithms, right? Like you're on Instagram, you like a you like this this person playing guitar. They're playing a Metallica song. All of a sudden, you're going to see a whole bunch of Metallica music and people playing guitars come up on your feed, right? That's just the way the algorithm works. The algorithm of Netflix puts these big blockbuster. Uh, films in front of us and and does does money is is the aff of these films and these you think about the amazing stories and the ability of these people to tell stories through film that may never see the the light of day in some people's eyes because they've just got this algorithm that of course corporate world is putting and they're not seeing it as part of a community as well Mm. like why are you doing this podcast to help Spread good positive stories and learn. But, but why is it just South Australian? Well, it's got a bit of Australian, and I have interviewed some overseas sure. people as sure. well. But it, it it has a South Australian focus because I don't believe there is. I am passionate about this state, and I am passionate about. Um, you know, when I ask questions about could AFF become the next Hollywood, is I'm always looking for what could right. set South Australia apart. I ask because you are speaking largely to South Australian audiences. Sure. And with the tech revolution, things got global very quickly. Mm. And we've lost sense of community. There's been a whole bunch of challenges that have come with that. But some conversations should be at the level of state and Mm. city. Um, And we have big challenges to navigate, Mm. both in our history and in our future. And Netflix isn't going to do that for us. Mm. It's how are we able to engage with this and look there's a fascinating thing we do with the program. There's always going to be controversy with film festivals. Mm-hmm. We actually need some controversy. Otherwise, we're not grappling with any yeah. difficult terrain. And it's it's something that considering that storytelling in a community is such a part of who we are and biologically wired up to um, to experience, to come together to experience one of these movies, if we can impact one person, that becomes a ripple effect. Just like the Indiana Jones moment that you described earlier. If you come to AF and see Triangle of Sadness or a film that you wouldn't have otherwise seen and you have that moment, suddenly there's a ripple effect in South Australia. And that over time, the exponential function kicks in. It's not about bed stays necessarily. That's important too. But it's about culture. And every company, every industry, 
They talk about how culture is important. This isn't just about film. This is about the subject matters that we're navigating, mm. which is relevant to so many walks of life. So that is that is why I get so passionate about this. Maybe I'll simmer down a bit. But, no, yeah. I, I do like it. I think there's – my daughter came home. I can't – I'm for the life of me trying to remember it. She came home the other – probably last week or so and she said to me, Dad, I'm like they um, – they have this uh, thing called Spectacular where at the end of the every year the whole school performs like uh, an act in front of the community, all, all the parents and what. Sure. It's a big thing that they have at the entertainment centre, which is really exciting. And, and this year my daughter comes home and she says, Dad, we're dancing to this song and it's a song um, written by a Torrent Strait Islander and an Aboriginal man. Um, and... The the dance that they're doing um, is you know a traditional um, indigenous dance, which is you know to pay tributes and all, all the above. And, I, and I, apologies, I can't remember the name of the song, but I remember listening to the song and thinking to myself, "This is actually amazing! Like it's actually a song that I want to hear." Mm-hmm. So I added it to my playlist, and I got and it got me thinking. What are what about what is this all this stuff that I could be missing out on because I like it's just not part of the algorithms. So I, I think what I'm asking in this question is how do we get more involved in this space? How do we see more of it? Is it just by like without like not not everyone's going to listen to this podcast, right? But how do we spread the message of the great work that's happening here in South Australia? And how do we get it out there more like for those who are listening and those who want to connect in? I can share what we have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, do I'm asking more from the point of what can we do, what can I do as someone who… I need a champion for the Adelaide Film Festival. You need You've got a platform. I need, I need someone to champion this. And, and to be honest, we have champions. Yeah. But it's fun championing. Mm. This is something I learned with the 40 under yeah. 40 stuff. It's, it's great fun to advocate for something just because it's meaningful, not because you get something out of yeah, it. Yeah, correct. It's like, and we're starting to see more of that. It's, mm-hmm. I have a tremendous empathy for a lot of arts organisations in particularly in this state, yeah. um, it's they're doing so much with so little, and it's a lifestyle for so many of these people just getting up every day and pouring their heart and soul souls into it with no time off in lieu and mm. wages that would make you, oh my god! But it's like to me, it's it's less about just going to the government for money. That's part of the conversation. We yeah. need the state to own its film festival yeah. and feel a sense of affection for it. And what I'm trying to do is go. I'm willing to stand up on this. Over to you. Yeah. Let's do something. Will, will you as well? It's it's. I'm trying to I'm trying to take initiative in that regard, mm. and it's not just talking about it. We've been putting in the work, building the organisation, building the team, building Matt, CEO and creative director, yeah. to help him fulfil his potential. So I take tremendous joy in that. Tremendous joy. So. Well, too much. No, I'm going to call <laughs> out if because there's only so much I can do as well. But if anyone listening, to come this along. And, yeah, come exactly. along. I'll, I'll circle some. Come along. I'd love to see what you think. See the community happen. Brilliant. So I'll be there. Two I'll weeks, October 19th to 30th. Excellent. Um, I know Paula is in love with this space. I told right. her you went, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, that's how she said it. <laughs> yeah, look, here, here's a proposition. Have some yeah. of the filmmakers on your podcast. Yeah. Have some of the new voices that are stepping through in the creative industries. Happy to. Happy they're more to interesting share. than I am. <laughs> happy to share. Happy to share their stories. We'll get talking of off air about that. Sure, what we might be able to do. I'm giving you. I'm giving you tasks. There you go. You are done. Oh, perfect. Uh, but it's those who are listening in too, right? Because we do have a large corporate 
following um, and these corporate peop- these corporate leaders have influence. So, you know, anyone wants to get in contact with Anton and figure out how we can make this, uh, make this grow. I am very conscious of your time. We've, um, we've, uh, we've embarked, had embarked on a journey, our own journey within this podcast. I want to wrap up uh, quickly just before I get it. We have a tradition where we ask quick fire questions uh, for a bit of fun at the end of the show just to leave a little bit of a, a smile. But before I do that, I want to ask one last question is what, what does the future look like for Anton? Where are you uh, – where have you got your sights set and, you know, is there a limit? Is there something that you're really passionate about that you you have thought about that maybe you want to traverse into that that world as well? Adelaide Film Festival. That's your… I'm, I'm focused on that for the moment. Yeah. It was two years away, two years ago, and now it's here. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite focused on this as an inflection point and that's something that… Brilliant. I'll, I'll, I won't is add it, other things to the mix right now. Is this an area that you feel could you could create something great in like as in you've got these businesses who are doing this amazing work Adelaide Field and Festival you're chairing is this something that you feel like there is some innovation to have in this industry that I could really champion I think I already have yeah I think I've uh, yeah yeah excellent all right we'll leave that there maybe cut that out (laughs) so quick fire questions to round off the show what are you reading right now um the Rise and Fall of the Neoliberal Order. Ooh. Oh. Talk to me about that real quick. I thought this was quick fire. <laughs> I know, but I, we can elaborate. <laughs> um, it is a book that um, talks about the rise of nationalism, okay. um, the history of the neoliberal order from the 90s to today after the fall of the Soviet Empire, um, some of these macro trends around why are we seeing all these new political moments spring up and what the hell is going on. Mm. So. Yeah. Very relevant to what's currently happening. What is, I know you don't like the term self-development, but what is a book that you feel that stands out from the crowd when looking to embark on self-improvement? Thinking Fast and Slow. Daniel Daniel Kahneman. I enjoyed that. It's a ripper. Is there any other podcasts that you listen to? Other Uh, than this one, of course. (laughs) I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I know, Um, yeah. I said other than this one, of course. um, (laughs) Depends. It's as much about the guests as it is about the podcast. Yeah. Um, I have an affection for the Lex Friedman podcast. Oh, Lex Friedman is by far one of my favorites. Wild. Yeah. Have you? Um, so Lex is brilliant because he has a mind that just you could just listen to him half the time. Let alone the people that he gets on. Have you listened to another one that I love called The Diary of a CEO by Stephen Barrett? I think you'll really like that one too. They go into some pretty amazing topics as well. There's another great local podcast, The Song Is Yours, a guy called Simon Fink. Um, okay. Comes from a real place of passion. He's a good man. Yeah. What do they talk about on their show? He interviews musicians. Um, ah, brilliant. But it's, he's not trying to make a big podcast. He's, no. just, he was, he's always, I've known him for a very long time, yeah. he's always been so passionate about music. It's always impacted him at this level. Yeah. So when he interviews, it very much comes through. So, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. This is so much. Adelaide, shout out. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. What's one lesson that's taking the longest to learn? Um, you choose your regrets. Ooh. That's Christopher Hitchens thing he said. Um, kind of hit me. I was like, ah, right. You choose the regrets you can live with. So at the point in time of making the decision on what you're going to do is when you're choosing a potential regret as well. Yeah. 
Oh, that's deep. We could go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but we won't. Three people. If you you have, asked. I me. know. I love that. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Do you know sometimes I think about opening with these questions because I'm like, this could just set up. Sure. But I like finishing it. Anyway. That's Finish good. strong. Here we go. <laughs> if you could have three people for dinner, who would they be? Oh, I'm living, your or, there. living or dead? Three people, human beings that have ever existed. Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. um, Stephen Fry. Oh yes. Who do you pair with those two? <laughs> Be interesting. Naomi Wolf. Oh yes. I remember seeing a, a an interview. I think it was Charlie Rose with Hitchens and Naomi Wolf, and just the repartee was. Divine, so yeah. Just for that banter, that, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I could come up with better answers than that, but that'll yeah. do. But it's one dinner. You got. You could have multiple. Invite sure. <laughs> other people to sure. other dinners. What is some of the best advice that you've ever received? Oh, I don't know. Probably that. Uh, oh, that I've received. Probably the toolbox thing I said earlier. Mm-hmm. That it's not just about having good tools to wield. It's also about having. An understanding of the domain that you, to navigate it safely. Mm. Yeah, I really like that point. Particularly with the startup world where there are all these solutions looking for problems. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a humility in listening to what's going on on the ground too. So, mm. yeah, yeah. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Someone who's so observant. You wouldn't I, – I always pictured you as someone who would go back. To when? It's I like, don't know. You go back to all sorts of places. Like, what, So there's no point in time that's uh, in history? I'd love to see Rachmaninoff play. Um, oh, yeah. One of his piano concertos. I would love that. Yeah, because um, you're a I don't know. Like, am I meant to go back in time and like kill Hitler? Isn't that the main thing you meant to do? Oh, yeah. Like if that's on the table, but we then learned, that. But, but we like, learned lots from that. I think this is going to I'm back. not going to morally justify any of that, so I'm just going to go to the next question. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, no, I, no, I don't endorse <laughs> what, what happened, but I always come back to that point of what can be learned. Of course. Uh, if you could uh, – sorry, if, you, if your house was on fire and where your family, your pets, everyone was safe yeah, and you had to go back inside for one thing, what would that one thing be? Slide rule from my grandpa. Hey, what? A slide rule that my grandpa gave me. Ah. Yeah. Is he, like is he still yeah, 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 yeah. still with us? Yeah. yeah. What's the is that what's the sentimental value behind that? He just gave it to me and I love him. So Okay. Yeah. That is good. You don't often Yeah. It's not something that you would have normally, is it really? Well, you know. That would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> what, have, have you not figured that out yet? Well, I, uh, <laughs> I got asked this question the other day. It's not on this list, but I got asked it yesterday. What's something that you ha- you don't know enough about. Oh, maths. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the more I dig, the less I know. It's uh, And you know a lot. That's no. not all compared to me. <laughs> well, I feel a sense of revulsion even talking about it because mm. compared to those that have actually stayed on the path, it's like, my God, I'll never catch up. It's uh, There's something about math though, isn't it? Like it's just this universal language. No matter where you go in the world, everyone speaks the same language in the universe. There's a sense of truth speaks. beneath yeah. it. I mean, the question is, does it exist or is it, what's the quote, God made the integers, all the rest is the work of man? It's, uh, uh, yeah. There's a certain purity in, in it but it doesn't mean that the world's not messy. If you had one superhero power, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. 
better podcast performances. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's go. You're in movies. You should have a superhero. Uh, I haven't thought about that question. I'm no. sorry. The power of knowledge. Right. Surely that's got to be up there. Everyone goes with flying. Everyone goes with… I'd be careful about that. You know, ignorance much. is bliss, right? Uh, yeah, good point. But then if you have the knowledge to get over whatever situation… Yeah. Know. I don't know. <laughs> now, I flicked you a text last night saying that I want you to make sure you have a good shit joke that you can provide us. Did you bring one or not? Look, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I was asked my girlfriend and, <laughs> and she said I've got a terrible sense of direction. So… <laughs> I packed up my stuff and just write. <laughs> well, I love it. You played that very, very well. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Today, Anton, thank you. We went. I'll, in, I'll interview you next. I, oh, that, that, I don't Give know. the people what they want. There won't be that much depth, I don't think. Oh, come on. <laughs> thank you for, for, for all you are doing, right? I think, and I, I sincerely mean that you are having an impact in more ways than one, not only on the entrepreneur world and the Adelaide Film Festival, and but you are, I know the work that you're doing is contributing positively to both South Australia, Australia and the world. So thank you for all that you're doing and I'm really keen to continue watching this path and watching your journey and watching all the changes and positive changes that you're going to make. I appreciate that. Thank you. Excellent. That wraps up the show. Thank you, everyone. Um, where can we catch you and connect with you if we need to or want to? Don't message me on LinkedIn. Don't message me on a social media service. Come to the Adelaide Film Festival from 19th of October to the 30th of there October. I'll be at everything. So. And that's where you'll find him. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys. All the best.